Amelia, a mother, noted, It had such a positive effect. You know, my children are six and three, so evenings are always a stressful time. And when I'm not leaving the office till 6 p.m., not getting home until 7 p.m. most nights, it puts you behind before you've even started. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Squeezing the Orange and Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinoma Bitan, and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers, and we squeeze them for their best parts so that you, the listener, don't have to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up, Dan. Hi, Akin. Hey, hey, hey. How are you today? I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling light as well, nice. which is nice. Uh, and I'm quite excited to dig into this uh, this study. Really excited to, to dig into it. And it's one that I feel that we can have a lot of fun with. Yeah. And it's, it's heavy one, as well. It's, yeah, whilst it, be, whilst it being heavy as well. It's a, yeah. it's a great one in the sense that <clears throat> sometimes you look at the facts, the cold facts, and it helps you remember things that you probably should have known, but you just don't bring to the front of your brain enough. And this particular one is about, um, number one, the sort of um, overwork that society makes women do and the kind of, you know, it's one of the big reasons why there's rampant sexism in terms of income and promotions and sort of, you know, women at the top and so on. But maybe especially for us guys, it somehow is just too easy to forget that in a way. And so I'm really interested in that part of it. I'm also really interested in this solution. You know, I think it's so mm. cool that uh, Elliot Sherman, you know, our, our friend and colleague wrote this paper in Management Science. It's called Discretionary Remote Working Helps Mothers Without Harming Non-Mothers. And what he does is a field experiment, a beautifully done field experiment, where they go in and they look at the effect of remote working and like just giving people that opportunity to choose on their own if they want to come into the office or not on a given day, given hour, and just looks at all kinds of outcomes and looks at like who it helps the most and does it hurt anybody. I think that's fabulous. I mean, it's just an incre- for me an incredibly relevant piece of research right now. It was it was a challenging read as well, and it was challenging because I imagine for Elliot, this is it seemed to be challenging to write and back up mothers without at the same time ragging on men or people who aren't parents. Mm. So there were some mm. lines when I was reading it where I was like, lay off, buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't do anything. And then when he was matching it with the science and the outcomes, yes. I was a bit yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can, okay, I can I kind that. of like roll with this. So, yeah. so yeah, we talk about this field experiment and what was done. And just, I guess, in time, in terms of like big picture, what we're going to be discussing here is a field experiment in which Elliot in- integrates himself in an organization for about four weeks to observe, are we able to level out the playing field? Mm. And partly what is trying to be leveled out here is this idea of when organisations include remote working as an option, what it might not necessarily take into account is the culture of that organisation. So if you have a culture where for a long time everyone has seen the value of being in the office 
and just that kind of like that physical FaceTime and connection, when you then give them the option to work remotely, what can sometimes happen is people who do take advantage of such a policy could be seen as maybe shirkers or they're maybe not pulling their weight. And what may happen is if you are a parent, I'll keep it broad at the parent level just for now. What may happen is if you're taking advantage of this to make your your work life balance easier, other colleagues who don't have the additional responsibility of parenthood may look at you and think they're not really doing as they're much. They're not committed. As, yes. That's what we found. And because once, of but. that perception certain individuals may not get like traveling opportunities for example they may not get considered for promotion for example and there may be other things which it then comes to impact their career and what elliot is doing is saying okay let's see what this means for mothers explicitly because as well as being a parent having demands what is noted here is also, and this isn't just what, what's noted in terms of Elliot's opinion, but this is what's noted in terms of research and data, is that there's additional social demands that fall predominantly on mothers yeah. as well. And that's part of what really was, you know, I've read a lot of these actual source materials, so it's not like this is the first time I've ever heard and read this stuff, but to see it again all put together, packaged so well, reminds me of the tailwinds that you know that I uh, appreciate, that I use essentially, that I can sometimes forget that are there. But like some of the ones that he brings up are the sort of scores of research su- suggesting that um, women spend at least twice as much time providing childcare as men, um, and as a result, they experience this significant decline in work hours following motherhood. And, like, here's some examples. There's evidence, independent studies again and again and again showing there's disproportionate child care responsibilities that women feel compelled to do, that, that, they, that they do, that mean that they have to endure sleep disruptions at a greater rate. they got to refuse travel and late meetings that make them seem dedicated and committed, like they're not there because they can't be. They're spending way more work uh, hours multitasking, which the evidence is really clear makes you less effective. And then you miss a lot more work because you have to provide what they call urgent child care. And that's like kid gets sick or needs to go to the hospital or needs to be picked up at school. And that disproportionately falls to women. And that's not what the study's about, but it's what the study shows a possible solution to. And that solution word is fantastic because there's a beautiful quote, which I feel is massively relevant to the study, but also to our times. And the quote reads... Studies of the causes of inequality are legion, but studies of remedies are rare. And I found this, this study itself to be really necessary in the sense of, Let's not just keep finding out what the problems are. We've got plenty that we haven't resolved. We know that. We Yeah, we're aware of several problems. Maybe let's stop looking for more and see what can we do about the ones that we are aware of. And that's what this study sought out to, to challenge. Is there a way, instead of just telling... And this is based on like the studies, is what happens when women do have children and when they do become mothers is you're now choosing between raising your child and advancing your career and the idea of juggling both is almost too much for any human and that's even if you have the benefit of having the man in the picture 
it's still a lot. What some women have done to try to counter that is maybe going down to part-time. But it suggests that if they take that option, the likelihood is they're not necessarily going to be able to climb the ladder or maybe advance their career. So they'll still be getting paid, but they're not necessarily going to be developing in terms of their That's career. It. That's it. And there's, there's a lot of it, it, there's evidence that suggests that when you go part time, you don't work part time. You might go to halftime, but you're still working three-quarter time. You're being paid for halftime, and you're off the promotion track. It's just a downward spiral. And, you know, um, listen, two blokes talking about this is a bit dangerous. To <laughs> I, uh, I'm being real it, careful it, it's like well, this, You know, <laughs> listeners, we kind of understand we're on thin ice. Like, we have a good heart around this, but, like, I'm sure we're going to mess some of this up. But I'm just going to go ahead and put out there. One of the things that actually, like, got me in the belly was this sort of double-edged sword where on the one hand, the ideal worker is supposed to be this like 12-hour day, always available 24-7 of, you know, like sort of online, you know, always there at the office of the meetings. That's like the ideal worker norm. But that totally collides with this like intensive mothering norm which, you know, I'd really like to think I don't have that norm. Like, I don't have those expectations. But society does. And it's this idea that, like, mothers feel like they're almost deficient unless they're, like, prioritizing – here's a direct quote. Unless they prioritize, quote, meeting the needs of dependent children above all other activities. So it's like, wait a minute. Something can't – it can't be both. Something's got to give. If you feel that there's these ideal worker norms and then that collides into these intensive mothering norms, it's like, well, it's just such a trap. And then you end up, no matter what, probably feeling bad. And then, oh, man, I mean, it, that's what I guess this study did for me is it just really helped me remember that, that double-edged sword or that sort of like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of predicament. Yeah. And again, the idea that um, it could even be at the heart of – a lot of the sexism in terms of results, like women being paid a lot less and not being promoted to the top positions and all these things, it just kind of helps you remember, it helped me remember uh, why that's the case. Yeah. So if we if we jump into this idea of a, a field experiment, so from what I understand about it is this is where you, I guess, you integrate yourself or your study into something that would be happening in the real world anyway that's it and so you're now trying to say is there something that i can apply to this situation to influence it and see if i can record changes yep. that take place thanks for bringing that up akin because it is very different from many of the studies we cover where they go out and get like amazon mturk and they get sort of like just people out there to answer some questions and then like okay they answered those questions differently and then you study and that can sometimes be called like an internal analysis of a survey Whereas what he's doing here, which is much harder to get, is a company saying, we're kind of worried about this too. And if you have a way to study it, where like we didn't give everybody a chance to do it, we gave some people a chance to do it. And like maybe we put it on here for them and then we took it away and put it somewhere else. And then we look to see how the real effects change. Like, A, if we offer it, does everybody take it or like do just the parents take it? B, if we give it to everybody, I bet you they all start slacking. I, you know, I bet you all of a sudden they're not going to do any real work and we're going to lose profitability. You know? And, and um, it allows you to study that question rather than just think about it. 
I, I hope that that's part of what you thought was so intriguing. Oh, no, d- yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And just to kind of like add to what you're saying as well, Elliot was also looking at when you, when you do allow more of your team, because I'm going to talk about this quite broadly in the sense of probably a lot of my commentary is I'm not going to be speaking on behalf of mothers because I believe that what he's found here is, oh, okay, I'm just going to say it. I think it's bigger than that. I think what he's found here is something that, companies that have applied it well have been able to allow employees to not feel like they have to sacrifice their life for their work. And that's employees across the board. What's fascinating about what he does is it means that mothers can can kind of jump into this situation because you might have people who have specific interests or their lifestyle and you and as anyone who's I guess worked full-time you'll know that there's this constant battle between how you want to spend your time and the demands of your work as well and so he's looking at like when we when we start considering people working remotely does this allow for uh, coordination to to still thrive in a workplace does this benefit people in terms of their work family balance and also does it remove the stigma that people who aren't seen as often in the office aren't working as much or as hard so um i guess i wanted to kind of like ask you a question yeah. dan because elliot was able to to get himself into this organization it's called How- abcam plc yeah. it's a life sciences company in cambridge and so what what is what's that kind of what is that process like when you want to conduct field experiments because it could be within there's certain areas of life that you could delve into yep. and then observe what they are doing yep. so that you can produce science and results based on that what is that process like when you do want to convince an organization or a group or a setting to be a bit like oh i'd like to kind of i'll give you an ideal and then i'll give you a more practical one go for it the ideal would be that you are an expert as elliot is in this case on something an organization could do to improve you know in this case to improve work family balance to create more fair work environment etc and then elliot as a world renowned scholar would a company would call him and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. You know, are you willing to help? And then he'd go in there and do the design and he'd like put together the experiment and we'll tell you more about like how hard that is to do well. Um, And then he would help them do that and gather the data and then he'd help them by showing them at your company, here's some personalized answers. And then he'd publish that in science. More likely what happens, at least what happens with me more, is I'll be doing some teaching with like some executives or something, I'll 50 people in a room and they are pretty senior. And I'll be talking about my stuff, essentially, you know, like here's ways that you can improve people's self-expression and decrease quitting and burnout by letting people come up with their own job titles, blah, blah, blah. I'll talk about that. And then somebody will be like, afterwards, they'll come up and see me and they like run a whole division or something. They'll be like, man, you know, we're thinking about trying something like this where we're going to, and then they'll essentially use the relationship to invite me in. And therefore it's not like a cold call for them. It's like, I kind of like the way you talked about this. It seems like you're competent, come and help. Either one of those works and both are really hard to get. It turns out it's actually... You know how you said it's rare to have an actual solutions-based paper? Yeah. That's kind of why, because it's all fine and well to talk about what a solution would be. But when you actually say, we're going to change the way my company does things so that, like, for these four weeks, half the people may or may not be here. It's up to them. 
yeah, that sounds like something like Google would do, or maybe that's a Microsoft thing. But like, you know, we're just like this mid-sized life sciences company in Cambridge. Like, we don't really want to change our culture, you know. And so, change is hard. And I think that's what's so wonderful about this is, you know, starting Monday, September 25th, 2017, Elliot lands and starts this four-week study. Yeah, and he he started it with, very simply, as an email. So uh, this email goes out to to the employees and it, it says, basically, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to see, like, how we can experiment with the idea of remote working and we would like to know who would like to get involved. And I believe for your involvement, you got a £50 John Lewis voucher, yep. which not ain't bad. bad. That's not bad. That's, not That's bad. a gift. Yeah. It's a nice candle. Because you're going to be coming to work anyway, doing your <laughs> jasmine rice or whatever. Have you seen the names of some I of have, these? I do. Like, bay leaf and basil. I, yeah, I, bought, a, I bought a candle yes, over yes. the Christmas period, which was which I should not confess to after the way that I was raging on the whole gift-giving culture. <laughs> but I did do some Christmas shopping. And some of the titles for these oh, candles yes. were just... Some of them made me thirsty. There was like ginseng tea, and there was others that made me hungry, like wild rice and teriyaki sauce. That second one sounds more than fifty. Though. <laughs> you might need a seventy-five to get into the wild rice. Anyway, so yeah, there were some individuals who were ineligible for taking part in this. So, in order to work remotely, the work that you do does need to be, I guess, knowledge-based work. So, considering the organization, there was people whose jobs might have had like a physical element to it, and there might be certain so physical in terms of let's say like lifting stuff yeah, or like stuff. production but also yeah production yeah. in the sense of there's equipment machinery or something that we're not going to deliver to your door so that you can you know do your job whilst watching loose women um or whatever it is people watch during the day <laughs> I, most- I do not know um <laughs> so we got 203 employees and that's about 45 percent of the total workforce so i'm going to say that's not bad in terms of representation you know, if it was 4% of the people that signed up, you might be like, um, I'm not sure that we can generalize these results. When you're talking about half the workforce, I'm bought in. And then four weeks later, they had to do the follow-up surveys. And, um, and these surveys, they don't take that long. We're talking like a four-minute survey or whatever. But 187 did time two. So 187 people, which would be about 40% of the whole workforce, you know, we have data on them. And they use something that I want to bring up briefly. You know, it may not be such a big deal to you, but it was random assignment. Like that email went to different people at different times. And then um, that's important because it means that not everybody started it at the same time and not everybody could do it every week. And they use this approach um it's a really important part, but he calls it a repeated crossover design. And it's this idea where every person basically received the treatment, but at different times, and therefore they could serve as their own control. And that's really, really important. It means I know how you rated your work-family balance and how you rated your performance and how you rated helping other people and you rated your integration. I know how you felt about that before we did the experiment, how you felt after a week, then it went away. How'd you feel? And it's this idea that you can look within person how they changed. Gives you way more statistical power, but it also means that you're sort of have a load of control about who gets it so you can infer causality. So like, say hypothetically, their work family balance got better. You know, you caused that with your intervention. That's the most important thing, I guess. 
Oh, that was, yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, so you would have had, let's say, let's say you, you chop that large number into, so just like 200 plus people, you chop it into. So let's say for a hundred of them at the first week, let's say what they would be requested is, you know what your, your job entails as much as you can, which complies with you being able to do a good job during week A, work from home slash remotely as much as you can. Week B, you'll do what you'll normally do. So you're going to be here probably five days a week. Week C, go back to working from home as much as you can. Week D, normal That's office it. I'm hours. I'm glad you said yeah. it that way. That's but nice then they clean. flipped it. So there was another group where it was the first week was normal working hours. Then it was, so you had this kind That's of, it. That's it. this, this, this interesting dynamic where everyone who is signed up is engaging in it. And at different times, they are, I guess, crossing over, as he mentions, in terms of what it is they yes. are experiencing. And if you're um, wondering, uh, dear listeners, is this the kind of wacky company that's already doing a lot of this stuff? The answer would be no. This is a company where the average was two days of the whole workforce or whatever, this would be like 2.14 days remotely during the treatment. But when they were not on the treatment, it was 0.49 days. I mean, and, and most of the people, it was zero. Most of the people come in every single day. That 0.49 are just a couple of people that were able to, I don't know, how did they pull that off? I think they were charming. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think, yeah. There's some they're people, yeah, there's really some people, well. yeah, they're just real charming. They're just a bit so, like, look, man. This is a big deal, though, because what it means is when they were allowed to remote work, it went up, what is that, um, sixfold, essentially, you know, something like that. It's a huge, huge increase on the days when they were allowed. And um, what other things do we want to talk about? I think like, we want to talk about what, what, what Elliot was measuring as well. Yes, so, yeah, yes, so Elliot yeah. was measuring yes. family-to-work conflict. This was the big thing. Yep. So this was this idea of remember when we did the uh, the study about the firemen yep and this was like a massive thing in terms of what their job does to their their, we, their yes, family the life yep so this yep. was looking at what kind of conflict is being caused by people having i guess the the stresses of yes. everyday life yes so like being away from home for like you know if you include travel 10 hours maybe and then on top of that if you include mothers where and if we just say parents but if we just say mothers as well actually because you have things where it's like um i guess the the breastfeeding um even with the like if you're going to be like express milking um and then for parents as well you have picking kids up um dropping them off and again which we know disproportionately seems to fall to women yeah yeah you know the facts are there and you know while it wouldn't have to be that way world that's the way it works out. But yeah, if we if we could you know. just talk about that for a second as well, Dan, because I think why I'm tentatively kind of skirting around having a hard conversation about it. So as a as a parent yourself, I imagine at some point yourself and your wife do have this conversation in terms of like one of us might need to be the main breadwinner, one of us might need to be the main caregiver. So as much as like as much as I'd love to join in like ragging on dudes who aren't doing as much, like you would like to do at that. the same time, I'm just a bit like, what is their alternative where it's a bit like if you have both parents who are taking it easy in terms of career wise, and they're both going to be a bit like, we're not going to, neither of us is going to 
go hard on our career so that we can both fully co-parent what does that mean for a household when there's like there's bills to be paid and there's so i find it i find it tough to really lay into the dudes when i imagine it's a bit like one of us probably does have to work a bit harder seeing as one of us might not be working as much i want to give a shout out to uh jennifer patriglieri who is a professor at insead and she just published a book called couples that work mm. and it's the subtitle is how dual career couples can thrive in love and work and it's a pretty great book and part of what it does is gives realistic possibilities for dealing with the question that i can just asked because realistically we can't both be full-time work and both be full-time family what are our options and so it's really nice because the book kind of lays out like we can both take our foot off the gas and do both a bit one of us can go on but then 10 years into career we switch and then you go and uh, sort of walks through each of the options really carefully and insightfully. So, you know, thanks for that, Jennifer Patriglieri. We're not going to solve that problem. <laughs> I did uh, not expect this uh, yeah, <laughs> in the next uh, six minutes. But I do think that what Atkins talking about is is right, and it is that tension or that torque that th- these sorts of like interventions might be able to help with. It's not saying solve it. It's just saying kind of let, let start to level the playing field. And in this case, you've got an average. Um, in this case, uh, 34 years old, 52% female, 37% had a kid, 44% lived with a spouse, but 39% were managers and all this. You have like a pretty good mix of people where you can say, who did it help the most and who did it help the least? Yes. I think it's almost like we can start jumping to that. But before we do that, when Akin was just talking about family to work conflict, here's one of the items people would respond to just so you can see. Things I wanted to do at work didn't get done because of the demands of my family. And it's this idea that you can strongly agree to that and be like, yeah, I mean, a lot of times I just, I cannot attend that meeting that I needed to attend with the customer because like I had to get my kid, that kind of thing. How do you explain that to a kid as well? Yeah. Like a kid wants to go like football practice and you're a bit like, Take the listen. <laughs> Take the self-sufficiency. <laughs> okay. Now get this. I'm going to throw this out and I'm not going to sort of... um Act as though this never happens, but it's important that the the listeners hear this. Okay, he looked at job performance, and that's really important because so this is another measure as well, yes. by the way, listeners. So, uh, family to work conflict was a measure, and also Elliot measured job performance as well. So, and I just ju- wanted to no, jump in. No, it's a really big idea. deal because, like in this study, you'd want to look to see ideally if performance stayed high even though work-family balance got better. Because you could imagine a situation where, like, yeah, work-family balance got better because you're, like, <laughs> just running kids around and, like, yep. ma- you know, making them great food organically and that kind of stuff. Whilst checking emails on your BlackBerry and Why not? staring car with one hand whilst telling Blackberry. a kid to... I can't, you know what? I just keep... Re- I think it's just... A, I just keep referencing... I just, I'm a difficult person, then. Like, I could say iPhone. Anyway, <laughs> I want to just put out there that in this case, while we can certainly interpret the results, the job performance was self-reported. Yes. So now listen, they said how they felt at time one. They said how they felt at time two. So we still have that within person comparison. That removes a lot of the biases and a lot of the problems. But it's not like it was the boss saying, yeah, performance was great. Or yes. uh, it kind of went south after we – so there is some potential bias there, but it's still really, really good data. 
So what we've got in terms of results now, we'll jump. 92% completion rate is fabulous. I mean, we would kill for those kind of results. It's just really hard to keep people like involved and engaged in a study. I wonder if he held out on the John Lewis vouchers. I, well, uh, yes. Because that's what I would have done. I'd be like, hey, here's, here's 25 pounds worth of John Lewis vouchers now, and you get the other 25 when you get the job done. That that's like my villain movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, you couldn't see this list, but he donned a fedora. As he did. <laughs> he I love it. I love it when they do it in movies. Because it, when it's movies, it's always like, it's usually like millions or at least hundreds of thousands. And they're like, here's half now, here's half after, like, and I'm just, I'm just going to take the half. Like, you know I'm what? Good. I'm good. We're good. This is. If you're talking 500 grand and I don't have to kill the person, I don't have to I'll kill him. See ya. <laughs> Okay. Oh dear! Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into these results. <laughs> Let's just jump in here. Here's what he found. Um, number one, I'll just start going through a couple of these. You jump in. There's about five things I need to say or we need to talk about. Number one, he finds no significant difference during the experimental weeks in selecting into the remote working across men and women, parents and non-parents, and mothers and fathers. It basically means. People used it, and they used it equally. It wasn't like just the parents are like, oh, good, time off. You know, and it also, by the way, wasn't like the people that weren't even married were just like, I'm going to go to the beach. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it could have gone yeah. any way. It's a weird assumption, right? It could have gone any way. Yeah, it seems to be this odd assumption yes. that if you yes. give people autonomy and control, that they'll just, as if, it's bizarre because it suggests that people don't, value their job or take pride in it like if you give people more liberty in what they're doing if they take pride in it and value it like if i'm told oh yeah you can just work from home every day i'm not going to the beach i'm like you just gonna fire me like, like <laughs> stuff still has to get done yeah like i still have to do <laughs> the <a> things <laughs> okay so that's number one that's the first most important thing perhaps. <laughs> second thing no difference across these subgroups. By subgroups, we mean like mothers, fathers, parents, non-parents. No difference across these subgroups in terms of the total numbers of hours worked in the treatment versus the control. So that means like when they were allowed to work at home, they worked the same number of hours. So it yep. wasn't like – but they didn't have the commute. So like that's kind of cool just to note. A lot of these people are talking about hour, hour and a half commute. Now all that time just gets fed into real work. So that's kind of interesting. In terms of outcomes, remote working significantly reduced family work conflict for mothers, but not for fathers and not for non-parents. So it had a targeted effect. I think that's really cool. I, I think it was cool. And I think it's super valuable as well in the sense of if you're able to adopt a policy in the workplace that has an overall net positive whilst having a massive positive on one specific group that seems highly valuable and you're doing so without like altering like pay structures you're doing so in a way where the benefit is still for all so it's like i still have the benefit it's not costing me anything. So now when I perceive someone else, so when I perceive a mother, I'm not looking at her as having something that I don't. It's just that we have the same thing, but she is benefiting from it more than That's I it. am. And I think the idea of this paper, which is you know so clever, is this is just one of the benefits of remote work. 
It's really important to level this playground. It's really important to give people autonomy and flexibility in terms of how they work. That's all great. But like some places also then find that if you're not going to come in all the time, then maybe we don't need as much office space. And in many places, office space is really expensive. Then think about the environment. How many more cars are not on the road with people just sitting in traffic waiting? You know, it just, you can just start loading on all the and, 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 and. And the beautiful thing about a study is it says, yeah, I agree with all that. I'm going to focus on this one really important thing that people haven't really looked at. Really, really powerful work. Now, I love this idea about the performance. The performance actually went up. It went up across groups and it went up more for mothers statistically significantly more for mothers. That's really cool as well. And what did you believe to be some of the reasons as to why the performance would go up yeah. for someone who isn't? There's two for me. I'd love to hear which ones you thought. The one I've already mentioned is there's just more time to work. You're, you're not sitting in a car angry. You're not arriving at work frazzled and late. Like right there. That's just worth a lot. But the second one, in my opinion, is this idea that you can plan for your work better. I, I've done some studies on remote work before, and what a lot of people talk about is the craziness of interruptions in meetings. It's, you know, you're sitting there trying to do some analytics. You have to get pretty far inside it. You're running it, and somebody swings by and says, hey, can I just borrow you for one minute? And it's like, I'd love to help you with that. You've, If I do that, you were pulling me out of about 40 minutes of prep yeah, I'll help you. That's your six-minute question answered. It's going to be 40 more minutes to kind of get back into my thought process of what I was trying to do at that moment that interrupted me. These people, they get to sit there two, three, four hours and get work done. And honestly, in my own type of job where I write a lot and I do a lot of analytics, a 10-minute interruption can take away an hour of time. Have you felt that? Is your I don't know if you've experience that type of thing in your work in so your- I'm, I'm fortunate in a sense of i've experienced open plan offices i've worked where i've had an office that i shared with just one other person i've had office to myself somehow um, and i've also done remote working as well and for myself i love the camaraderie of being in an office i'm probably the person who will be distracting <laughs> other people from getting their work done yes But goodness me, when it's time to actually sit down and, you know, stare a spreadsheet eye to eye, or when you've got like, you know, pages and pages to kind of read and to get through... You you, re- you just like you don't want it. You don't want people asking you when oh, you're going for did lunch. Did you hear and this you don't one about like the, um, the guy meetings. next to the printer? Yeah, I, f- I really felt. Let for me him. read a little bit. Go for it. Totally do this, it. This one guy goes. There is no worse place in the office than to be next to the printer. People just come by and say hello as they're collecting their one pages, and then you end up getting distracted quite a bit. So I've experienced a lot of that lately. But when I'm working from home, there's less of that, and actually, it's easier to manage because somebody skypes me. I can make a decision about whether I'm going to reply to that now or later. And I think that control and that deep work, that idea of like going in and getting actual stuff done, we don't value that enough in office spaces. I think that's an important yes. part. Hey, we're getting near our end well, Yeah, here. we really are. So I guess like in terms of like what was, I guess, yeah, what would you say was found overall then? Okay. Um, the most important thing is yeah. if we go across work-family balance, if we go across actual performance, if we go in terms of like proactive helping other people's proactively, yep. there was no downside here. 
it helped a lot of people disproportionately helped women. Yes. Again, not even women, mothers. Mothers, yeah. To, to be honest, I, I love the charts. I mean, guy, uh, listeners, if you could just see some of the charts that he puts in here, he goes across and looks at like on any given thing, like the effect of remote working on helping behavior. And you kind of go across like full sample, men, women, parents. It's sort of like the mothers that seem to do the best on that. On this particular one, it's funny. The non-parents go slack on this one. Did you have to notice this? Across all those different subgroups, it's like nice and high, nice and high, no problems. It's all good. And and like with the mothers, they're actually helping other people more when they're remote working. And the non-parents are like, I'm not – it's like half. They, like, stopped helping people. Yeah, because non-parents don't go to work to help other people. They go to work for the after-work drinks. Like, they, the only reason they're there for eight hours is so someone's going to be like, yo, you want to so get the me. pub after? I love that finding. Um, one, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I was going to, ch- uh, I guess, kind of, like, uh, touch us down with um, one of the final lines in this study was that Abcam actually altered its company policy after this experiment. And they they put out a policy which allowed uh, employees to work remotely at their discretion. So as much as we can celebrate the results and discuss the findings, I think this is probably the biggest result of it is that it had such a positive impact on the organization that they wrote it into That's law. Great. And Akin, I'm going to take that and I'm going to give one dismount around a lot of the ways that we work today. We started doing around 1900 when we industrialized. Before that, most people were farmers and like you didn't have set hours. You have to go to the office. Office is a new thing. It's a new way of working. We forget that. And we these days act like you have to do it the way they'd started in 1905. You know? um, when managers and leaders start thinking about what's actually better today, you wouldn't set it up the way it was set up in 1905. This is one tiny example. But like, I don't know if you heard, but Microsoft did this thing in Japan where like they went to four days a week. And they just paid people for five days a week, but said, you just take a day off or whatever. Now, listen, more research is needed, but they found that productivity and performance went up. And sometimes you just have to think about working better doesn't mean working more. Working better doesn't mean working in an office. But we don't do that enough. So one of the things that charges me up and even inspires me a little bit about this is this is a fabulous study. It's a tour de force. I mean, it's it's an incredibly strong field experiment with this crossover design that we can infer causality, proving that it not only helps everybody, but helps a group that needs it the most. Yeah. And it's what's beautiful about this as well, because if you are listening and thinking, hmm, should I approach my manager and request more working from home? Arguably, you'd benefit from it. But what you probably want to do is see, are you able to influence your department? Because it's what we can't get away from is even if we allowed all of the mothers to do this, there's a stigma there. So if all of the mothers now were like in the office three days a week, everyone's going to be assuming that those other two days, they're just chilling out. So there seems to be this benefit of creating something that is for everyone, but benefits specific groups or individuals more so. Great way to end it. Thank you so much for talking with me about this. This was a blast. Enjoy the rest of your lives, listeners. Thanks for rocking with us. Ciao.